What's up, Open Floor Globe? This is Ben Golver with the Washington Post. I am joined on the other line by Michael Pina, NBA writer at SB Nation. And Michael, uh, we're talking here on a Wednesday because of scheduling conflicts. We're both working on some stories, so we're recording this a little bit early. But I actually think it plays to our benefit because I am coming in hot off my first night on the Bronny James beat up at Sierra Canyon High School in Chatsworth, California. And I'm ready to just kind of take you on a tour, if that's okay, of what was a really impressive day all around. I toured the school. I met a bunch of the administrators, the basketball coach, the athletic director. I watched uh, you know, their girls' basketball team play, which is pretty darn good. And then I watched the boys' team just absolutely you know, torch uh, one of their you know, local rivals here. Uh, in the Los Angeles area. So I've got takes upon takes upon takes. I've got firsthand impressions of LeBron's oldest son. Um, there's certainly a bunch of like media commentary that we can probably get into. And I think we could even try to trace maybe some similarities and differences between what it was like when LeBron was a high school phenomenon and what it's been like now that uh, Bronny is a freshman and, and bursting onto the recruiting scene. Hey, this is so exciting. I can't wait. Okay, so let me just start with the school, okay? It's about, you know, a 45-minute drive with traffic north of Los Angeles, right? So it's what you would consider the valley. Uh, You know, some people might look at it as a suburb. It's a middle-class suburb, but it's a spectacular facility, okay? The, The school has been probably most famous for having the Jenner sisters attend. Uh, Stevie Wonder's daughter attended. I think Will Smith was sitting on its board. And it's a completely independent school, privately financed, doesn't take money from you know basically any government body. And it really originated as kind of this oasis, I think, for celebrity kids and high-performing kids to kind of, you know, be away from the hustle and bustle of, you know, the west side of Los Angeles, you know, Hollywood and and Brentwood, Bel Air and Beverly Hills and all that. And it's sort of like removed from that, uh, but at the same time giving you like top flight education um, and, and college placement. But over the last, you know, 10, 11, 12 years, it's really tried to evolve into an athletic powerhouse. So this was a school that even as recently as the mid-2000s didn't even have a baseball field or a football field or a basketball gym. They've really ramped it up considerably, and they've benefited from, uh, you know, basically some rule changes in California, which have said, you know, it doesn't really matter how big your school is, you can kind of compete on any level. So even though this school has, you know, basically 550 kids in high school, you know, total 9th through 12th grades, um, they're able to compete against anybody. They're able to travel across the country and, and play other, you know, powerhouse teams. And so even though they're kind of the new kid on the block, uh, it's been a very advantageous situation for them. They've been able to negotiate television deals, so they appear on ESPN and, and ESPN3. Um, their games are broadcast here on Fox Sports uh, in Los Angeles. Uh, and their football team is kind of the same deal. I mean, they've been uh, you know, a very high-performing team, uh, and the basketball team has actually won back-to-back state titles. And the really interesting thing is that they've taken – this child celebrity thing from, you know, the Kardashian family uh, at the Stevie Wonder entertainment industry, and they've kind of moved it over into the sports, right? So they've got Marvin Bagley III. They've got uh, you know Cassius Winston, whose father was a sports agent. They've got Kenyon Martin's son uh, last year. They had Scottie Pippen's son last year. And so it's kind of this natural landing pad when guys like LeBron James and Dwayne Wade are looking around saying, hey, where should our kids play basketball? Now they've got this school that basically didn't exist 10 years ago that can sell them on high-level basketball competition, experience with famous people, uh, kind of a normal and diverse student body. So they're getting, uh, you know, kind of a traditional high school experience. Um, And then the opportunity to kind of do all the things that you might do, whether in college or in the pros. I mean, Sierra Canyon went to China for a preseason trip. They're going to a made-for-TV event in Minnesota later this year. They were just in Dallas playing in front of 12,000 fans. And so, you know, the administrators have said, we want to be sort of like a Duke or a Stanford on the high school level. And really, I, I think that there's so many parallels between what the NBA lifestyle is like in terms of, you know, the travel and the grind and, and the, the commitment and what these kids are already going through at age, you know, 15, 16, 17, and 18. They had a preseason media day. They had preseason media training. <laughs> um, I mean, it, it really is, it's mind boggling, Michael. And so this is not your typical high school, you know, clearly, 
but it's a fascinating place to just sort of drop, you know, Bronny James, who I think is going to be over these next couple of years, probably the most watched high school prospect in the country. Yeah, I'm just looking at the the highlights from their last game, which was a blowout victory for the ages. Uh, and Bronny seems very interesting. 6-2, um, started the game with an alley-oop dunk. That was pretty nice. And uh, his, his father posted uh, on his Instagram a, a side-by-side photo of the two of them uh, and their dunk forms and how they're similar. And there's a lot of scuttlebutt about them eventually, someday, hopefully being teammates in the NBA, which is what I personally am looking forward to. Hope that happens. Um, BJ Boston. Love that name. Just throwing that out there. I well, think he's so their best player. That's the thing. So they've got two kids who are seniors that are top 10 prospects. Boston right. has kind of committed already to Kentucky. So they're sort of the leaders of this team. And then Bronny is kind of like the younger brother. And it, it really makes for a fascinating dynamic because even in the gym, you know, if if he dunks, it gets a different type of reaction, obviously, right? Uh, yeah. He actually got shaken up a little bit in transition. A, a guy just used a move to get by him. And the opposing crowd, and they were only really about 100 or 200 people led into the gym from the opposing team. Their crowd was like ooing and aahing because this kid had almost, you know, faked out Bronny. It was going to be like this badge of honor for him, right? So even though Bronny doesn't even start some games, he's clearly the center of attention already. Now, just to kind of give you some more context, I mean, this high school team is going to have to play some of their home games at a local college. They had to staff up extra L.A. Police Department uh, officers for the game. They hired private security for their home game. Uh, Their home gym only sits about a thousand people. Uh, they sold out all those tickets specifically to their own, you know, families uh, from the school within 32 minutes on their website, right? And when we're talking about, you know, cameras and media crew, there was probably 20 cameras in the building for this game. And there was a full uh, production team from Uninterrupted who are putting together a documentary about this season, um, you know, following uh, Bronny James. So you have this kid who's 15 years old. Like you said, he's (laughs) 6'2". He's clearly not done growing. And yet he's completely used to being followed by cameras everywhere. And when I talk to the administrators and the coach, they say, you know, he's basically like the rookie on the team, right? He's paying his dues. He's yes, sir, no, sir. When you look at how he interacts with the referees, there's no back talk. There's no pouting. Um, he play, you know, he hustles hard on defense. You know, they play a very aggressive style trying to force turnovers so they can use their athleticism and transition. And he's flying all around, you know, doing all the dirty work. Um, and so, you know, from a game standpoint, I think he's got the fundamentals, you know, pretty, pretty much down. You know, he's got the right mentality for this stage of his career. I think what gets me most excited about watching him, and you know, the listeners will have to forgive me here. I don't usually come on here and just you know break down a 15-year-old kid's game for like five minutes. Okay, I think this is an extraordinary circumstance, and it's okay for us to just kind of acknowledge that um, he has an IQ and a feel and flashes that definitely reminds you of his dad. You know, there's one time in transition where he's basically accelerating and then de- uh, accelerating and then accelerating again, uh, kind of all, you know, smoothly in traffic. Uh, you know, he's got, uh, you know, obviously the dunking ability that you mentioned, um, which, you know, certainly is is not where it's going to be in a couple of years. Uh, no. But he also has, you know, some no-look passes, some touch passes, some weighted passes that the typical 15-year-old kid just doesn't have. And frankly, nobody else on his team really had some of those skills. And so you can see the blueprint of a really good player, uh, you know, coming up, you know, in a couple of years. And so that that got me excited watching him. He's got a very smooth and fluid three-point shot. Um, you know, he wasn't shooting very well last night uh, from outside, but I think that's going to be a weapon uh, in his game, no question about it. And he's also just got this kind of jovial and upbeat personality. He's a little bit goofy. One thing to point out, you know, his family is basically barring him from doing interviews. So even though the rest of the team is kind of, you know, very media uh, savvy and, and comfortable talking, I mean, uh, Dwayne Wade's son was doing an interview on the court uh, before the game because he was in a boot and, and he wasn't playing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they were doing a post-game media availability, no problem. Uh, he is being protected in that way. And it's just very interesting to me because at the same time, LeBron is sharing his Instagram highlights of his son's games, right? 
Bronny has millions of followers and he's got his own brand on Instagram as well. And so it's kind of like this uh, almost quaint method of, you know, quote unquote, protecting him from the media, uh, you know, where I think really it's kind of about controlling his story and controlling his narrative and, and putting him forward in a positive light. Yeah, I mean, as long as this doesn't turn into just, you know, a, a situation where the media is trying to tear him down and, you know, the expectations are just through the roof naturally because his father is his father. And uh, so I, I, I hope that the comparisons to LeBron are, are naturally tempered uh, as he's just a freshman in high school, a 15-year-old, uh, not through growing. Uh, he, the, you know, he as you said, he's not even really starting on this team and you know i don't expect him to be a leading scorer uh, in most games throughout the season so i think people should keep that in mind that he is a freshman at this powerhouse school and that his father when he was a freshman in high school was not getting this type of att- nearly this type of attention i mean lebron when he was in high school did not get it until his junior year i believe is when his first game was nationally televised on espn uh, so the expectations are obviously different. Uh, the situation and the context in this world of social media that we're in right now is different. But I think it's generally smart to uh, to shield him from the media glare. I think that it's a little bit self-serving for LeBron with Uninterrupted and the documentary you mentioned. But it, it's, it's not normal for any 15-year-old to be as coveted and as in demand as he is so just as he's aging and maturing i think that's only a healthy thing for this to be for sure the stakes are just really really high and unusually high for him you know one wrong comment could go you know a bad direction Mm -hmm. and i do think lebron's kind of having it both ways right like he's you know, at once promoting and uh, covering and, and kind of participating in the saturation hype around his son. At the other time, you know, the other side, he's saying, look, we're going to be the ones doing it, nobody else. Uh, I understand that uh, paternal instinct. You know, I'm not a father, but I could, you know, see how if you were in his situation and you had the kind of power and influence and connection that LeBron has, you would want to be the major figure in that story. And, uh, you know, certainly he's, uh, you know, put himself in that position. I'm glad you mentioned that LeBron game on ESPN because talking to their executives, they still view that as a hallmark moment of high school coverage. I think it was the highest rated live TV event in ESPN 2's history. It got a two rating the first time they put LeBron on national television. Uh, you know, some of the people involved with that show believe it really helped elevate LeBron in terms of what his sneaker deal wound up being worth when he was coming out of high school because he was such a known commodity and, and a household name um, mm-hmm. from that game. And what we're seeing with Sierra Canyon right now, it's basically unprecedented television coverage. ESPN is going to either stream on ESPN3 or show on their on their networks 15 of Sierra Canyon's games this year. Now, 13 will be streaming, but that's an extraordinary number. And, you know, like I said, some of these events are basically made-for-TV, like heavyweight bouts between them and other high-powered high schools uh, around the country. The schedule was carefully crafted by the school. Uh, they're going to be traveling, you know, like almost uh, nonstop. You know, their coaching staff, by the way, run seven deep they break down scouting reports with video of all their <laughs> opponents before every game they have designated assistance for offense defense and communication i mean this is really like a college program uh and they're gonna be you know almost saturation coverage and i think this is important to note because brownie is only a freshman right so the platform has been made here to really turn this guy into a major center of ba- of the of the basketball world by the mm-hmm. time he becomes a junior or a senior. I mean, is it inconceivable that he's on ESPN2 in a couple of years 10 times, right? Uh, if he continues to progress and be this big-time player. And the ESPN executives have been pretty straightforward about it. They're like, look, we know the kids of stars uh, get a lot of attention. They, they, they point to like Wayne Gretzky's son, Will Smith's son, uh, Joe Montana's son, John Elway's son have all been... Uh, you know, featured on either basketball or football games uh, over the years. 
they even said they, they televised, you know, Michael Jordan's kids one time, you know, years ago uh, for kind of the same reason. And you know, this is a situation where like, you know, Bronny has a better chance to be a big time player in basketball than a lot of those other kids did. And certainly his dad is coming with, you know, significantly greater attention than even some of those other Hall of Fame athletes that I described, right? So uh, I guess I came away from the Sierra Canyon experience blown away by their facilities, uh, you know, ready to have children so that I could send them to Sierra Canyon (laughs) and, and like get them in this pipeline, right? But also thinking like as crazy as it is year one where they've got, you know, 10, 15, 20 cameras at the games. They've got Isaiah Thomas of the Washington Wizards complaining that Sierra Canyon's on ESPN more than the Wizards are and being right about that, uh, basically. Um, It could get a lot crazier two or three years from now. Like, this is only just the beginning. Uh, The Isaiah Thomas tweet, I actually had in my notes. I wanted to mention that because it was my favorite tweet of the year by far. (laughs) So I'm glad that you brought it up. (laughs) No, like it's, I mean, you can understand where the players are coming from though, right? Like, uh, I mean, frankly, when I was sitting there on the baseline and I didn't recognize a lot of the other media members who were there, Um, you know, it was a lot of, uh, you know, websites that do the instant clips uh, up to, uh, you know, the internet, you know, whether it's like Ball is Life or Mars Real, like those types of sites. And um, a lot of times maybe those guys aren't at the NBA games, right? But they're basically doing the same thing at those games that we might do at the NBA game. And frankly, especially until this past year, there was more people in this Sierra Canyon gym that fits a thousand people. There was more media members at that game than there were covering Clippers games like two years ago. You know what I mean? And so if I was an NBA player, it would make me scratch my head. And I actually asked uh, Cassie Athena this, and she's like kind of a well-known photographer, uh, you know, has covered NBA games, college guys, high school players for years. And she's based here in Los Angeles. And she just told me flat out, she's like, look, I'm at this game because Bronny clicks better than a lot of NBA guys, period. You know, if I put up a picture of Bronny, it's going to get more likes and more attention and more shares um, than, you know, basically, uh, you know, most NBA players outside the stars. And to prove your point, you mentioned one of her pictures of side by side of LeBron and Bronny is being shared by LeBron today and getting hundreds of thousands of likes, right? So, there's no question that the interest level is there. People want to know who's next. They want to learn more about a player in Bronny who they've seen in Nike commercials for years. They have obviously mm-hmm. seen in these Taco Tuesday Instagram videos from his dad. And uh, that's why I say, like, as crazy as all of this might sound now, it's like a little Truman Show vibe here, you know, for a freshman getting all this attention. Um you know, it's possible that he winds up getting more attention when he's done as a high school athlete than his dad did. Oh, he'll definitely have more attention just, again, because of the day and age that we're in. Uh, I have a basketball-related question about this. Um, okay. I think the, the natural uh, curiosity one would have about Bronny, who has never really seen him play and hasn't you know, dug into the scouting report, which I am guilty of not doing. Um, would he be a an NBA prospect or someone who is assumed to to make it in the league if his father was not his father, and if we were basing everything on projection and his current skill set? It's very hard to answer that to separate, like you know, Bronny the player versus Bronny the guy who has access to you know, basically the best coaching, the best facilities, right. uh, the best pipelines, the best teammates. And I think that's sort of the point here, Michael, is that NBA players are realizing that they have an extraordinary opportunity to pass on the privileges of their lives that maybe they didn't have when they were kids to their children. We've heard LeBron say in the past, I w- you know, I'm, I'm interested in Bronny going to Duke. I think Coach K even said one time that Bronny has kind of a standing scholarship offer, right? And I think part of the appeal there is not only the basketball, but it's the academics. It's the well-roundedness. It's like setting your, your child up for success in whatever career path he might choose. Now, clearly, Bronny's really into basketball. He's committed to it. Uh, but I think that it says a lot that why they would choose this school like Sierra Canyon with its focus on the academics and the basketball and just the visibility factor of traveling so much. LeBron, you know, in a vacuum, I'm not sure he cares how good Bronny is as a prospect, I think LeBron's focus is how can I maximize his potential as an NBA prospect? How can I do everything in my power to put him in position to be an NBA player, right? And I think that's a a common 
universal desire among parents who kind of want the best for their children. And just most of us can't, you know, flip the switch and say, hey, guess what? Uh, you know, St. Vincent, St. Mary in Akron, you're going to, you know, play versus uh, Sierra Canyon this season on television so that we can, uh, you know, raise Bronny's profile. And that's one thing the ESPN executives mentioned too. You know, they said even like going back to covering a guy like Austin Rivers, uh, and actually, excuse me, this was a Paragon executive, which is a third-party company that sort of lines up a lot of these, uh, mm-hmm. you know, these deals between ESPN and the high schools. And he said, look, you know, we put Austin Rivers on TV a lot because he was Doc Rivers' son. And he was like a number one prospect. But a lot of his teammates benefited from that visibility by getting maybe better offers or improving their uh, chances at, uh, you know, better schools uh, when they were going into college. So I think that they believe on balance that the visibility – um, and the exposure is a net positive for basically all of the players. And I think the players are in a situation where they don't necessarily want to be protected from it anymore, right? They're just like, sure, put me on TV. I'm ready for it. I've been conditioned for it. Uh, you know, if I'm going to play in, a, in front of a bunch of guys with smartphones in my gym, I might as well be on ESPN. Let's do it. Do you think if the one and done rule, uh, assuming that that is eliminated by the time he that Bronny is a senior, what do you think LeBron's opinion is on? You know, you mentioned Coach K. Whether or not Bronny should go to college, because obviously LeBron did not go to college. He went straight to the league, and the rest was history. Um, I think that it's really fascinating if that the by the time he's a senior. Uh, if the league is, if the the rule, excuse me, is eliminated and he is allowed to enter the draft, I think that is very, very interesting because it also aligns with something I mentioned earlier, which was the possibility of them playing together and uh, the possibility of LeBron. I, I would assume, you know, that he'll just sign a veteran minimum contract with whatever team drafts his son. Like, is that, I mean, it like, well, look, Michael, this is a theory I've had for a long time. I've said that they're going to be the Ken Griffey senior and Ken Griffey junior uh, of the NBA. I think it lines up quite well. I don't want to, this isn't reported, but my guess is LeBron would want his son to turn pro and would feel he would be ready after four years at Sierra Canyon. Cause I can't really imagine better pre- preparation at this point. If you're going on road trips and taking trips to China and playing this, you know, uh, nationally televised schedule, like they just played at American you, Airlines Arena, right? Like that's basically you know NBA life. And we heard LeBron at media day say, "Hey, maybe Bronny will get a chance to play at Staples Center." Like he wasn't saying that flippantly. <laughs> like he was like ready to reserve dates for his son, right? So I, I think if Bronny is ready, if he's sort of draft eligible and and you know good enough, I don't see what the hesitation would be to bring him to the pros. And I think, um, you know, ultimately, like if you're LeBron and you've orchestrated all of these other things, you know, in terms of setting him up for success, finding the right school, you know, moving to Los Angeles and, you know, filming the documentary and all these other things, why would you stop there, right? Like you're the most influential NBA player basically ever, uh, especially in the modern era. Like, of course you would do whatever it takes to be on the same team. And I actually think like this would be one situation where everybody would get it. You know what I mean? Like who would want to who would want to like draft Bronny and be like sorry LeBron you can't play with him like you don't want to be that team right so oh, no team no team would do that no right it's not yeah so it's not like the Charlotte Hornets like drafting Kobe and being like you know what we're not trading him to Lakers we're gonna keep him and just like hold him against his will right like I think that it's easier to envision them on the same team than it's ever been previously and this is something that I've thought was gonna happen for years right so I look this is just me speculating it's not reported. Um, but like even last night, you know, I I heard from the locker room, uh, in Denver that as soon as that Nuggets Lakers game was over, LeBron's on his phone watching Bronny's highlights, you know, whooping and hooping and hollering because Bronny's playing well on his phone. Like this guy loves his kid. There's, there's no question about it. Um, his kid's really good. Uh, they've given him clearly lots and lots of private, uh, instruction time. I mean, you can just tell from the polish of his game and and how he moves with the basketball that uh, he's coordinated in a way that a lot of kids his his age just aren't. And I think it ultimately is going to come down to how much does he grow? And then, uh, you know, frankly, let's be real. Like the guys from like, you know, 25 to 60 in the NBA draft, like that's not like the best pool, right? So it's not like Bronny needs to be a number one pick here. He just needs to be able to like take a roster spot 
and uh, you know give it a go. I mean, we've seen. Did we see Michael Jordan sign Rod Higgins's son at one point? Like this has happened in the past, and certainly I think. Bronny will not only have a standing offer from Duke and every other, you know, big time D1 program. Uh, I suspect he's going to have a standing offer from, you know, a solid 10, 15, 20 NBA teams. Yeah, the James family is just a national treasure. That's that's basically what I took away. I, I really I just want to quickly say that I saw uh, in your, your Instagram story um, live on the scene, the locker room of uh uh, at Sierra Can- Sierra Canyon. So let me Incredible. ask you: did, did you get goosebumps when you see James next to Wade in the locker room, like on the placards? It's so sweet. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it looked like a country club. Like, I I cannot believe that that was a locker room. Yeah, uh, it was actually funny because when we were touring that locker room, the halftime of the girls' game was taking place, and the opposing coach who was losing to Sierra Canyon was just like awkwardly reaming out his girls' team, like right outside the locker room. So they were like <laughs> trying to show me like the really fancy, like you know, wood paneled lockers and uh, you know the television screen that they've got where they can show like the pump up clips and everything. And then meanwhile, this guy's like, you can't have mental lapses, like screaming, like right on the other side of the wall. It was great, man. I got to say. No, the other thing I didn't mention about the game, though, after the national anthem, they turned off all the lights and they put up a hype video. Right. And it looks like an NBA hype video. You know, all the players are dunking. uh, They've got their little handshakes. I mean, if you could bottle up the NBA experience and put it into a thousand person high school gym, that's what these kids are living. And I guess, you know, from the outside, I could understand why a lot of people, especially parents, would sort of have their heads spinning and say, this is not healthy. This is too much too soon. And I really think that the professionalization aspect, especially, you know, through social media and the learned behavior, and especially for these kids whose parents are NBA players, I just think they're ready for this stuff way earlier than they used to be. And it's not for everybody. You know, I think that this is sort of a cream of the crop type situation, but it's stunning to see it play out in person. And, uh, you know, the team is, you know, obviously excellent. Um, I'm sure they're favored to probably win another state title. They've got players from all over the country, just like a college would, you know, from Florida to Georgia, uh, you know, to, to Bronny as well. So, you know, we'll see how this plays out. I just want everybody to know Sierra Canyon's officially on the radar um, when it comes to the LA hoop scene. And, um, you know, I think it's only going to become a bigger deal. Yeah. I, I second everything that you said. I can't wait to read your story on it. And, uh, someday I will watch Bronny James play basketball. Uh, it will be sooner rather than later, man. I'm telling you, you're going to get the peer <laughs> pressure from social media. You're going to be seeing all these clips and finally you're going to say, you know what? I have to evaluate this for myself. Is Bring this guy on. really going to be able to do it? Hey guys, what's up? This is Ben Golliver with a message from Mattress Firm. The only thing better than watching your team win is a perfect nap. And Mattress Firm's President's Day sale lets you get a king mattress for a queen price or a queen mattress for a twin price for savings of up to $600. And you can take home a free adjustable base with a qualifying purchase. But you have to hurry. The clock is ticking on this sale. It's ending soon. Isn't it time you saved and slept like a champion? Shop now. Mattressfirm.com mattressfirm.com for the president's day sale all right hey uh, thank you for indulging me on that tour um and you know i just think some of these things are just really fascinating almost like bigger than the nba you know life parenting privilege uh, celebrity all of that uh, it's right in my wheelhouse but we're going to shift gears now uh, to a bunch of questions from the open floor globe and they emailed us openfloormail at gmail.com openfloormail at gmail.com. And you know what, Michael, a lot of these questions uh, are actually just sort of holdover responses to a conversation we had last week about how you might cheat in the NBA um, or how you might otherwise be able to sort of manipulate your way into advantages. So we're going to bring in some ideas um, from various members of the Open Floor Globe. Nick writes, I'm writing in from Switzerland. I wanted to give you my idea for a way of cheating. If I was a GM of a team like the Hornets or the Knicks, or just about any other team that seems to go nowhere, I would try as hard as I can to get a hand on the lottery balls that determine the first three overall picks in the draft. I want all of those balls to contain my team's logo, so I would end up with the first three picks. 
That would be my idea to cheat. And maybe if James Dolan ever got desperate enough, he could try to bribe someone into doing it. That would definitely be one of the funniest stories the NBA could imagine. Look, I think you're going to give David Stern an aneurysm with this idea, Nick, after the whole, uh, what was it, like uh, cold envelope uh, conspiracy the theory from envelope. decades ago. Yeah. So what do you think, though, uh, Michael? Is it possible to rig the lottery? And is that the way you should invest all of your cheating resources if you're an owner? I don't think this idea is possible. And if it was, I'm sure someone much smarter than either of us would have tried to execute it. Um, <laughs> I mean, the security in, in the lottery room is is pretty top notch. It's very it's a very secretive process. Have you ever been in the room, Ben? I did. I went last year, and I, I think I told this story on the podcast, but uh, I was snooping around the lottery ball machine, and like the guys came over real quick. Like it wasn't like security guys, but it was the you know the people who were in charge of like you know pushing the lever and so forth. Like they did not want me um, you know unattended near the machine for too long. <laughs> yeah, exa- that kind of doesn't surprise me at all, and kind of serves my point that I this is in theory a great idea. Who would not want to rig the lottery system? It would set up your franchise for decades to come. Uh, I I don't think this one's possible though. Sorry, Nick. Yeah, uh, Nick, it's a good dream. Um, I was looking for weak spots, um, you know, in the whole system to see if I could get through. It's buttoned up pretty tight. I got to give the NBA and the lottery people a lot of credit. Although I will say for the conspiracy-minded people out there, they wanted to interview me after conducting the lottery drawing to basically get my seal of approval, I think, as like an independent media member. And I was like, huh, like now am I like justifying? Like, are they using me to cover up the real conspiracies? You know what I mean? It's like, oh, here's Ben in this video saying, oh, everything looked great. And in reality, we just handed Zion Williamson to the Pelicans so that the Anthony Davis trade could go through. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, you know, sometimes your mind gets wandering in those situations. So here's another one from Adam in the UK. And he writes, look, it's called Lasagna Gate. For context, Tottenham Hotspur and Arsenal are bitter North London rivals and they hate each other. The year is 2006 and Arsenal has been enjoying a period of sustained success, winning three Premier League titles. Uh, At the time, the Spurs were on a streak of 15 trophy-less seasons and had not finished above Arsenal for 10 years. With one game left to play, the Spurs were in the fourth position, good enough for them to take the last qualifying spot for the Champions League. Their final game was at a cross-London rivals, West Ham United. All Spurs need to do was match or beat Arsenal's result in the final game. The night before the game, the Spurs players all stayed together at a London hotel and dined on pre-match lasagna. Throughout the night, most of the players start suffering from food poisoning. The next morning, the whole squad is a mess. They've all been projectile vomiting and suffering with explosive diarrhea for hours. Pardon to the listeners, by the way. This got a little bit uh, you know, detailed, but I figured, you know, let's read the whole thing. Spurs applied to have the game postponed, but they were told if they do, they would forfeit the match. The coach was left with no choice but to field as many players as possible. Uh, Running on empty, literally, Spurs went on to lose. Arsenal beat Wigan uh, for the final spot uh, in the Champions League. It's strongly suspected to this day by everyone associated with Spurs that the lasagna had been deliberately contaminated and the Spurs had been sabotaged. However, it's never been proven and there were no repercussions for Arsenal, West Ham, or the hotel or its staff. I love how he wants to go after the chef at the hotel. You could just hear it in his voice. So You've what do you to. think, Michael? Would you strategically poison your opponents if you were uh, an NBA owner and you had that capability? Obviously, you're going to know where the other team is staying. Uh, certainly, you would, you know, w- with a, a certain amount of money, you'd be able to you know, get through to the room service there. What do you think? Sure. This is risking jail time, which is probably something I'm not willing to do. Uh, but I mean, this, this is <laughs> how badly do you want to win, Michael? <laughs> this is uh, I mean, this is parallel with uh, I don't know if it's ever been confirmed, but the Michael Jordan flu game where in Utah uh, during the I forget what which finals was that the 97 98 finals. I think it was the 98 finals. Yeah, sure. 98 finals where, you know, Jordan has the quote unquote flu, a.k.a. he was obviously poisoned <laughs> at the hotel uh, and he was up all night. They had to 
uh, you know, plug him with fluids, and he was, uh, you know, laying on the floor of his hotel room all night long, and he comes out, and he drops however many ungodly points he does, and the, the, the Bulls win, and it just adds to his legend. So I feel like this has been potentially done. Now, I'm am I making up the fact that that is this is a rumor or a conspiracy, or do we, has anyone ever admitted to him actually getting food poisoned, which has been suspected for years? First of all, I just love the fact that there's no lasagna in the world that could stop Michael Jordan. That's why he's the greatest of all time. I know a guy like you might want to throw LeBron <laughs> in that conversation, but there is no lasagna, period, anywhere that could slow Jordan down. I believe I need to fact check this. I think it was game five of the two th- or sorry, the nineteen ninety seven finals. Mm-hmm. I believe he had thirty eight, seven and five in that game. Uh, and they won, you know, in narrow fashion before going on to win the title. Um, I don't think there's been any confirmation there. Uh, but I think that that is sort of like the the widely held premise was that uh, you know he ate something you know bad before the game. I think this is just too far, man. And I think this is a demented email from our listener. Uh, first of all, you know, come on, like we can't be out here, you know, trying to screw with the intestinal systems of our rivals. That's just too far, isn't it? Isn't that worse than what James Harden does when in, in terms of like you know hunting fouls and so forth? I mean, that's pretty low. Damn, bringing Harden into this. Also, you called me a wimp. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Hey, I'm like I said, coming in hot. Okay, uh, real quick before we get to some more emails, let's pause for a moment uh, for a message from Health IQ. Are you averaging eight hours of sleep per night? Check. Are you eating a quality plant-based diet? Check. Are you exercising four or more times per week? Check. Basically, you're doing everything right to ensure you live a long life. Isn't it time you get financially rewarded for your commitment to a healthy lifestyle? Introducing Health IQ. Health IQ uses science and data to secure lower rates for people like you on their life insurance. If you're a runner or a cyclist, if you're a vegetarian or a vegan, then you deserve to be rewarded for your hard work with more affordable life insurance rates. Health IQ can save you up to 41% because physically active people have significantly lower risks for heart disease, cancer, and diabetes. And Health IQ is not just a lead generator. They take you, the customer, through the entire process of applying, and the policy is underwritten by one of our top insurance partners. But these savings are exclusive to Health IQ. You won't find them anywhere else, and you must qualify to get the special rate. To see if you qualify, go to healthiq.com slash floor to take the proprietary Health IQ quiz. Depending upon your score, as well as other related qualifying factors, you can save up to 41% on your life insurance premiums compared to other providers. Again, that's healthiq.com slash floor to let them know we sent you and start the process with the Health IQ quiz. There's no commitment, and you'll learn even more about potential opportunities to be rewarded for your commitment to living healthy. One more time, that's healthiq.com slash floor. Um, all right, here's a quick one from Travers. He writes, I believe this may be something that has already happened in the 1990s, but the nets can be easily manipulated to release the ball slowly or quickly. Unless it is now a rule that all are required to be the same, I can't believe that it has not been used against the Warriors over the past five years. Perhaps the Cavs could have saved a few made basket fast breaks and eked out another championship for LeBron. And my buddy Mo Dackel, a podcaster here in Los Angeles, you know, brought up this same idea of te- teams trying to use the nets to slow down uh, the seven seconds or less suns by basically you know preventing the ball from coming through cleanly so that they could you know take it out of the net and immediately push tempo back the other way so what do you think do you want to shrink wrap the nets uh, you know in your uh, in your home gym to keep the pace down or do you want to like stretch them wide open so your fun and gun team can go as fast as possible are you in on the net manipulation michael is this actually a possible thing to do? I'm, I'm, I, it sounds, I don't know how implementing it would actually change the speed of the ball coming through the net to, you know, m- allow teams to get it faster or push the pace quicker. Or is, I, I just don't, I don't even really I, understand this at all. I'm, I'm just going to lie. I'm picturing a guy in a dark equipment room, mm-hmm. hunched over a table, pulling on the cords or twisting the cords for hours. I think that's Just how this would work. I mean, yeah. I, I think this is a full-time job for somebody. Um, 
this could be an urban legend. You know, it's it's possible. Uh, but do you think this could actually work, or do you think this is just people, you know, freaking out about you know, kind of changing pace of play and so forth? I think it's people being paranoid. But I will say it's pretty um, relevant with what happened with James Harden and the San Antonio Spurs the other night with the the dunk through the net, and they couldn't see it whether or not the ball actually went through the net because he dunked it too hard. So obviously the Spurs are using nets that are. Um, of some kind of substance to to lead us to what happened with Harden and that whole debacle. That actually brings me to another great one because we did talk about the Spurs' ability to change the temperature in their arena, mm-hmm. but they've also had bats and even snakes at one point. There was a snake in the Blazers' locker room before a playoff game that really freaked some people out. If you knew one of your <laughs> rivals was afraid of an animal and your home stadium was in like, you know, the middle of the Texas desert, like the AT&T Center, would you be opposed to bringing in zoo animals of various sizes and kinds to mentally screw with your opponents? I actually love this idea just because I can imagine if I was an NBA player and I, you know, walked into the locker room and saw a a tarantula in my my seat where I'm supposed to sit down or, or anything like that, I would flip out. I, I just I would be completely off my rocker for the next few hours and not able to perform at peak performance. So uh, so I love this idea. I think it could really screw with some people. Yeah, you, it sounds like you might retire. You're that afraid of uh, spiders? It would be a big. I would. Yeah, I probably would not re-enter that state to be honest. Here's the bad thing for me, Michael. I'm fritzy around a lot of animals because animals can smell fear. And I think I just wear it like cologne. You know, any dog (laughs) that's bigger than like my fist, I'm afraid of. Horses really spook me. Um, I used to go walking at at Tryon (laughs) Creek State Park in Lake Oswego. Shout out to uh, one of the the best state parks anywhere. But there there was horse trails in that park and there wasn't really enough room like for you to walk by the horse, you'd have to step out of the way. Every time I would step out of the way for the horse to pass, I was convinced it was going to headbutt me or something. Uh, I've had some stare downs with deers uh, out in the in the wilderness previously. Um, you know, certainly captivated by the moose and the bear I've seen in wildernesses in, in the past, but not about to get up close and personal. And, and same thing with the buffalo at Yellowstone. There is almost any animal you could bring into an arena that would freak me out, Michael. I'm not even kidding. I think I would be the the easiest person to psych out uh, in the NBA. And I think ultimately, this is the best cheating strategy we've thought of. You know, I think that sort of turning the whole thing into a circus, maybe hand selecting different animals to mess with each player, uh, you know, and just kind of, you know, locking them all in the locker room and ha ha, surprise, that's the way we're going to do it. Yeah, I think you could do a lot of you could get your a research team in to figure out the deepest and darkest fears of each player. That's a it's we're, I think we're onto something. Yeah, look, if you're going to have a psychologist to build your own players, uh, you know, self-esteem up, <laughs> might as well get uh, you know, a psychologist who's more into the dark arts, you know, who's more into the mind manipulation uh and uh, you know, see what you could do. All right, before we get any deeper into like KGB tactics. Uh, Let's shift gears with an email from Stewart. He writes, and this is in response to, you know, some of the NBA's proposals about the midseason tournament and playoff reseeding. He writes, of all the fixes the NBA is considering, they're missing the one that matters the most to me. And that's the lack of antagonism between players and teams. I think we hear too much about the NBA family and how everyone works together to develop the NBA. That's all very well and good, but sport is ultimately a contest and it is made more compelling by genuine antagonism. I'm talking about the Bulls and the Pistons of the 1980s. So clearly Stewart wants to see blood. He writes, the modern (laughs) players are too chummy with each other and the way they jump around from team to team diminishes the tribal element of sports and as a result, it reduces interest in the product. Now, this is something that I've heard uh, from other people in the past. And, and shout out to Spike Eskin. You know, he's always emailing, kind of begging for attention on this subject because I think he, he wrote in a couple of years ago, uh, the co-host of the Rights of Ricky Sanchez, to talk about how uh, you know player movement is breaking up the bonds between fan bases and their fav- favorite players, and it's maybe diminishing uh, you know team fandom uh, to a certain degree. And uh, I think there's some truth to that. You know, I think that more fans now are, are fans of players than they were, you know, 10 years ago, as opposed to being, you know, fans of uh, specifically teams or, or local sports fans when it comes to the NBA team. Um, so 
this is Stewart's take. Michael, do you agree? Uh, do you disagree? Do we need to bring the blood back to the NBA and turn this into more of a, a tribal battle format, like more survivor style than what it's become? I do not agree with this. I mean, anyone who watched uh, any of the past four NBA finals, it, it really wasn't a sense that the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Golden State Warriors were best friends. I, I never got that feeling watching those series or even the past two years with the Rockets and the Warriors. I mean, those teams really did not like each other at all. Uh, I actually think that player movement creates more interesting rivalries among the teams uh you know jimmy butler leaving philadelphia for example um and then going back created this environment that was just really awesome to watch and i don't know if there's any direct antagonism among between him and the team that he was on last year but you can definitely sense like a a possibility for something like that to breed like with the celtics and and what happened with kyrie irving and if he ever uh, you know, plays in Boston ever again for the rest of his career. Uh, I, I think that you know, that environment and the players who were his teammates who might feel betrayed by anything that he did when he was there. Uh, I, I just think that it, it creates different types of rivalries and different types of antagonism. And uh, so I, 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 I see the point of, you know, keeping teams together and letting them uh, you know, I think the, the the what happened with Cleveland and Golden State was teams staying together and battling every year against one another, and that does create uh, rivalries that spur bad blood. But I think bad blood can be created in other ways, and I don't think that players are too chummy with each other to or, or chummy enough to uh, you know lack the competitive to have that overwhelm the competitive fire that they would otherwise have. Look, Michael, I'm not in the practice of doing this, but good takes. I enjoyed that. I, I think that you're you're on to a lot. To me, there are a lot of great basketball rivalries right now. If it's Curry versus LeBron, you know, during those finals, or the you know Kevin Durant versus LeBron, whether it's Curry versus Harden. Right now, we've got uh, Lakers versus Clippers here in LA. Kawhi versus LeBron, very natural rivals. Uh, and even when you look at teams like the Rockets and the Clippers who have hated each other for years, they're in like their sixth rendition of a rivalry. You know, I mean, there's been uh, locker room, uh, you know, tunnel f- scrapes, and uh, now you've got you know former teammates. Russell Westbrook and Paul George lining up against each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to me, there are some really good rivalries out there on top of like the homecoming games, you know, where you know, the first game back guys like Anthony Davis and Kyrie are getting booed. So I think there's some of the antagonism for what he's looking for. But I think the better way to look at this, Stuart, is to focus on the basketball rivalries, uh, you know, rather than, uh, you know, the blood sport of the 1980s. It's more about, you know, stylistic uh, you know, uh, contrasts, how they you know, maybe look different or approach the game differently. I think the Warriors and Rockets are a great example of that. And they've played some phenomenal playoff series with really rich storylines here over these last couple of years. I also, I kind of do agree with him on one point though. I'm so sick of the chummy aspect where everyone wants to deny there's any rivalries. I need some NBA superstars to step forward and say, yes, I'm rivals with this guy. I hate his guts. I'm sick of him. Okay, we're actually friends off the court, but when we play, I want to kill this guy. He drives me crazy because we see some of this stuff happen all the time, and we see people like pop shots on Twitter every once in a while or or Instagram every once in a while. I actually think Joel Embiid is the one guy who does this, and unfortunately, he goes too far, I think, with some of the the slanderous stuff that he says. I mean, the the profanity and and the the name-calling, I think, goes a little bit too far. But I think it's okay for everyone to just admit there's rivalries. Like, the Lakers and Clippers should both just come out on media day and be like, you know what? We're battling for LA, and the winner of LA is going to win the title. That's how it's going to happen. Let's just be honest. We don't need to pretend that it's not a rivalry or, uh, you know, kind of downplay it uh, or anything else. I mean, I think if you've got self-confidence in in your own ability and your team's ability, uh, you should be willing to to not run away from that uh, that R word. And, and that's what bothers me with it. Yeah, I I really like you bringing up Joel and the everything that he does, and you know, from just an entertainment perspective, he's 
he's top of the charts with uh, his use of social media. I do agree with you that sometimes he goes overboard, but uh, it, you know, it reminds me of Shaq when Shaq was in his prime on the Lakers and the things that he would say, not on Twitter, obviously, because it didn't exist, but just into an open microphone. It was hilarious and it was, it was awesome. Uh, I do think, I just want to say real quick that uh, I feel like Giannis Antetokounmpo is not about like he he is a no new friends NBA player. He does no, not. No, there's no question. But he's exactly in that sweet spot that drives me crazy, Michael. Where he does want to kill everyone, but he doesn't tell us about it. It's okay, Giannis. Tell us about it. Tell us what you want to do to Pascal Siakam and Joel Embiid when you see them in the playoffs. I'm ready for it. Yeah, I feel like players are. I don't want to say they're afraid to do it, but with the fact that everyone's changing teams every summer if you were to say something that crossed the line accidentally or whatever would have you and it it prevented your team from signing an all-star because of it it maybe that's in their heads i don't know but i I get true they're all they're all seeing the bigger like super team construction picture and they don't want to like uh (laughs) cost themselves titles down the road yeah that's a factor and that would probably drive our our emailer Stuart crazy if that was actually uh you know weighing on them i do think with Giannis, there's a lot of tim duncan to him in terms of how competitive he is but he doesn't want to talk about it and i'm okay uh, you know, if you want to be you know, Barry Sanders, hand the ball to the referee and, and leave the the nonsense stuff to the, to the mm-hmm. wayside, I respect that completely. I just think with Giannis, like when he dunks on a guy like Julius Randle and he flexes and he, and he screams and he rips his shirt and he kicks a hole in the arena that one time when he was so frustrated by playing poorly, the fire burns within so uh, brightly with him. I just wish once he would sit down do a long form interview or maybe a sit down with rachel nichols for the jump where he just really lays out how he wants to just kill everyone you know and basically just like gives us a little bit of the the mic flavor because we know it's in there but what we get from Giannis in public it's like the bubble gum don't call me the mvp because i want to win the mvp again which is fine it's good scripted writing from his people I just want to see a little bit more of the true competitive Giannis when it comes to his media presentation. And hey, on this subject, we got a couple of questions from Giannis real quick. Noam from Israel writes, a lot has been made of his three-point shooting and how it would make him unstoppable. Would it really? Giannis's drives are so efficient that his off-the-dribble three-point shooting percentage would need to be really high in order for defenses to care about it enough to open driving and passing lanes. Am I missing something? And he adds, Michael has been doing an incredible job. Well, there you go, Michael. Noam in Israel is a big fan. What do you think? Uh, Is there too much attention being paid to Giannis trying to add a three-point shot to his arsenal, uh, or would it help him? First of all, Noam, that's the best question that we've gotten since I've started. So uh, oh, shout out to you. It was incredible. Two, two-way buttering up. I see how this is going. Okay. It really got my brain churning and made me made me think it was inspiring. Um I think it does matter, him shooting threes, as we saw in the playoffs last year when they felt faltered against the Toronto Raptors. Uh, you can be too predictable. And, uh, you know, Giannis's game does rely on getting to the rim, which he can do in the regular season at will, as we saw on that Julius Randle dunk that you uh, you just mentioned, which I, I, that, that I leapt off, off my couch when I saw that. That was just so barbaric. Um, but... I feel like if he did have a three-point shot, now he's shooting sub 30% right now on about five attempts per game. That's just that's just not great. And, and I agree that if you are going to shoot at that percentage with that accuracy, you might as well just keep it in the bag because no one respects it. But if, you, if he does ever get a league average three-point shot, you're going to have to defend him tighter. That's going to make it easier for him to blow by you. It's going to make it easier for him to get in the paint, force rotations, kick it out to his teammates for even more open threes than they're already getting. It's just if he does get the three-point shot, he becomes a cheat code, and he's already pretty damn good. Yeah, I think uh, the way to think about this is exactly what Michael said. The focus has to be on the playoffs. In playoffs, you have to have more counters than the defense. You have to have uh, a deeper well of tricks that you can go to reliably than the opponents can throw at you. So we've seen that with Steph Curry. 
in terms of you know how he extended his three-point shooting range, how he really did a lot off of the ball to try to work against traps and, and other junk defenses. Uh, we saw how they really went to a lot of spread lineups so he could get stuff going to the basket with layups at a higher efficiency rate than he did earlier in his career. Obviously, we see it with LeBron being just this incredible passer who can beat any double team or extra attention while also you know putting his head down in the playoffs and going hard to attack the basket. And also with LeBron adding that deep three-point off the dribble shot. Of course, we see it with Harden wanting to have every possible counter that exists offensively. Um, and same deal with Durant. You know, he can, you know, shoot three-pointers, but he can go to the mid-range, post you up. He can beat you lots of different ways and kind of always get to his shot no matter what defense or how many guys you're throwing at him, right? Um, so it is a problem on the very highest level for Giannis to just not have anything else to go to. I think it's not just the three-pointer. I think he's been trying to work in some turnaround jumpers. Every once mm-hmm. in a while, he goes with he goes with the jump hook. I do think he tries sometimes to get to the elbow jumper too a little bit. Um, so I think, uh, his overall offensive game, he is looking to expand his weapons. To me, it's a gradual process because in some cases, like he was starting, uh, you know, not the greatest place. And I know there are some people who say, Hey, when he came in, you know, he could maybe shoot the ball better than we realize. I don't think he was doing that in pressure situations as the lead guy. And I do think that makes it different. Um, I think that the fact that he has improved so much as a playmaker, actually offsets some of his own lack of shooting because it was you know it's able to keep the Bucks offense humming at a really really high level even against a team like Boston last year um, where he's just kind of dicing them up uh, you know they, they can't stop him going to the basket and then he just kind of unlocks them with the pass um, but I do think if he's going to win a title which I think is you know his manifest destiny as a member of Giannis Inc the three-point ball is going to have to be something that helps uh, you know keep him going uh, in important moments uh, during the postseason. Another guy I didn't mention with a really deep bag of tricks, Kawhi Leonard. And we saw that during the postseason last year too. Whether it was the turnarounds, the fadeaways, uh, the three-pointer, uh, he had counters you know, basically to everything that people were throwing at him. Uh, and he showed that he could move the ball and be unselfish uh, in big moments. And that was a question to me. Uh, was he going to be able to do that uh, and uh, you know, outside of the San Antonio system, and he did. Hey, another quick question from Spags, also on Giannis. He writes, everyone looks at Harden's points per game for his MVP candidacy, including Michael. But I think Giannis is getting hurt <laughs> by having his minutes well-managed for the second straight season by Bud. If he's playing per 36 minutes, uh, all of his stats look way more eye-popping. Add in the defense and the team record, and Giannis feels like the front-runner. It's a good argument from Spags. I, I understand what he's saying. Um, you know, Giannis is a little bit of a victim of his own success here because they do manage his minutes and because they've been blowing a lot of teams out and really haven't needed him. Yeah. Um, I mean, like I said in the last episode, we're splitting hairs here. Um, although I just want to quickly bring up the, uh, straw poll on ESPN.com, uh, where, uh, Giannis received 48 first place votes and, uh, James Harden received nine. Uh, which is uh, put him in fourth place behind LeBron, Luca, and Giannis. I just, <laughs> I just don't understand that at all. But, uh, but yeah, I think that. So what you're per- saying is that the straw poll validates a little bit of what the the email is saying, while also maybe underrating where Harden should be in this conversation. I that is spot on exactly what I'm saying, Ben. I think that. When I, I, I generally do not think points per game is the be-all, end-all, of course. Uh, the point of the game is to put the ball in the basket, and when you are averaging 40 a night and you're doing it efficiently, uh, you know his true shooting is higher than Giannis's, and he bends defenses in ways that Gian- even Giannis does not in terms of forcing uh, creative defensive coverages and uh, really stressing out opposing coaching staffs. Um, I feel like I would give the slightest of edges to Harden, who is also a better passer than Giannis is. Um, And I just want to quickly point out about Giannis and see if this is a concern of yours as well, but his free throw shooting has been wretched. Yeah, uh, it's a concern. I mean, I think that when it's off, it looks really bad. I think that he's made some free throws this season in big moments. And I think that a lot of times their offense is so good, it, it winds up not coming back to bite him. It's definitely, if I was the Bucks, it would be a concern for me. Not as big as the three-point shot because I think they do run into walls in the postseason. But the free throws would concern me in the playoffs because 
it does open up the possibility if if you just don't have a defensive matchup for him to just you know try to do a hack of Giannis. I'm not sure yeah. that that would actually pay off, but it is out there in a way that you could never do that against a Curry, a Harden, a Leonard, or even a LeBron. Yeah, I, I the hack of Giannis. I don't know if that would that would be just really terrible, and I feel like they're trying to you know adjudicate it out of the league. So you know that would be atrocious but he is shooting 58 percent from the line and it feels like every other time i watch Giannis play he airballs a free throw uh, and i i can't get those images out of my head which also kind of is a reason why i aside with james harden who went 24 for 24 from the line the other night so yeah i i, I am not persuaded either way um by uh the emailer but uh but Giannis is great, and I, I feel like I'm constantly battering him because his name only comes up in the context of uh, what he can't do and yeah, you know, the MVP show, discussion. Show <laughs> some respect, Michael. Unbelievable. All right, we got one last question here from Marcos, okay? He writes, this is going to sound like a hot take, but it's is it possible that in the future we look at Kawhi Leonard's decision to sign with the Clippers as one of the worst moves in history? Right now, Paul George is a better player than Pascal Siakam, but Siakam is more than four years younger and has no operations on his shoulders in addition, in addition to that horrifying leg injury. Fred Van Vliet is six years younger than Beverly, and right now he is much better than Beverly has been at any point in his career. The Raptors have all their picks in addition to Lowry and Ibaka to make moves. The Clippers have no assets after the PG trade. And on top of that, the Raptors are in the East. It's an infinitely easier path. What do you think? Thank you and best regards from Puerto Rico. Marcos, a phenomenally hot take, but also very well laid out and presented. Thank you so much for sending that in. Does this just come down to weather, Michael? I mean, is that the fact of weather <laughs> was, and home? Yeah, that was literally what I was about to say. <clears throat> one One team is in Toronto. And the other is in Los Angeles, which makes this objectively the right decision. Yeah, it's tricky because I do think Kawhi probably has a better chance of winning a title this year with the Clippers than the Raptors, right? Would you say that? Do I? Huh. I I, I don't know if I... If he were to stay in Toronto this year and everything else kind of... All the other cards fell where they did in free agency, I feel like the Raptors would be a heavy favorite to get to the NBA Finals this season. Wow. I'm not sure I would go that far. I'd say that they would definitely be a top two team with Milwaukee. But like when I look at the league right now, after things mm-hmm. have shaken out, I see three teams that can win the title, basically. Milwaukee, the Clippers, the Lakers. I think everybody else is still in prove-it mode. And that's pretty good for a decision. I think that could last for a couple years. But of course, we're going to see some you know, potential losses on that Clippers roster as guys hit free agency or guys age out a little bit. Um, or just you know diminish even if they're on the team. So I don't know if the Clippers have the world's longest title window with this particular group. So I, I do think Marcos makes some really interesting points. I think the problem for Toronto is they're going to have to pay Van Vliet. They've already paid Pascal, and they would have had to pay Kawhi, right? So that group would probably be their core going forward. Like There's going to be some significant losses uh, to their rotation had they been able to retain Kawhi and go forward. And that could have made it difficult enough to field a deep enough team to kind of still compete at a, a title level here, you know, for the next couple of years. But I like what he's saying about, you know, viewing, say, Pascal versus Paul George as your sidekick. Uh, you know, the jury's still out. How high of a ceiling do the Clippers have? You know, we've seen some great moments, but we haven't seen it for more than, you know, really a, a month at this point. And I do think that we we can safely say that the the ceiling for an extended Kawhi and Pascal partnership would have been very, very, very high going forward for the next four years together. It would have been super high, but also we're not getting the Pascal that, or I don't think we would get the Pascal that we've seen over the past six weeks had Kawhi stuck around. Uh, you know, his responsibilities would have been completely different, even if Kawhi was still embroiled in, in load management. Uh, so with Paul George, I mean, the guy finished third in MVP. I mean, Pascal's having a great year, but Paul George finished third in MVP last season. Yes, the shoulder surgery is a concern. Uh, he did have a horrific shin injury. 
and uh, but he, he obviously has recovered from uh, from that and I feel like his skill set is just so complimentary to a 1A superstar like Kawhi Leonard uh, and I, I we haven't really seen as you said we haven't seen like close to what the Clippers will look like in the spring and <clears throat> I haven't really put too much stock in in what I have seen so far uh, I do think that Montrez Harrell is uh, probably going to leave. I think keeping him is going to be very difficult for them, very costly. And that's going to be a tough chip to replace, and they don't have any trade assets. But when you have Kawhi, when you have Paul George, uh, when you have uh, you know you, one of the teams that you mentioned as a title contender, the Milwaukee Bucks, Giannis is going to be a free agent. I do think in the next two years, the Clippers will probably win at least one championship. And then, I mean, Kawhi's a free agent and Paul George is a free agent in 2021. And he can go back to Toronto if he wants. I don't see that happening, but uh, it would be (laughs) a fantastic story. Uh, No, I think, Marcos, I mean, it's a good reminder that maximizing championship potential is not the main factor for these guys, especially once guys have won titles, right? Personal happiness proximity to family, weather, uh, influence within an organization. I think all of those things are big time factors for free agents. I think we've seen it with LeBron uh, and I think we've seen it with Kawhi as well. And, and you could say, uh, you know, Paul George too. So, uh, you know, your, you know, cold hearted calculating approach down there in Puerto Rico, that's going to send Kawhi <laughs> back to the frozen tundra. I don't think, uh, I don't think that's quite the way he was thinking. All right, guys, we've come to the end of another episode of Open Floor. Thanks for sticking with us, and thank you for all those awesome questions and cheating strategies. Hey, Michael, they can find us on Apple Podcasts by searching for Open Floor. That's two words. Once you find that page, scroll down. It will say rate and review, tap five stars. It's just that easy to help us spread the word. I'm on Instagram at ben.golliver, and Michael is on Instagram and Twitter at Michael V as in Victor Pina. Uh, Hey, Michael, until next week, I will talk to you. See you, Ben.